Welcome back to iGen Politics. This is a podcast that makes politics engaging and relevant for all generations. This is Victor Shi. And I'm Jill Wine Banks. And today I'm wearing a pin that's very important for our guests. It is a no guns. And as you will hear in our conversation, it's not just about assault weapons. A lot of deaths happen because of handguns. On July 4th, a gunman opened fire on a 4th of July parade in Highland Park, a city very near where Jill currently is and my hometown. He killed seven and injured more than two dozen, and this tragedy isn't unusual in the U.S. In 2022 alone, our nation has witnessed over 300 mass shootings, including Uvalde and Buffalo. Congress finally took some action to reform our nation's broken gun laws with the passage of the Safer Communities Act, which President Biden immediately signed into law. But that is just a first step. There's so much work that needs to be done to reduce gun violence and deaths in America. Today, we will talk about what we and Congress and the president and the states can do to stop these mass shootings. And we have two perfect guests for that. Shannon Watts, the founder of Moms Demand Action, and Ashley Casillo, a rising junior in high school and a member of Students Demand Action. You have no doubt heard and seen Shannon Watts, and soon you will get to know Ashley. Shannon Watts is a mother of five, and prior to founding Moms Demand Action, she was a stay-at-home mom and former communications executive. The day after the Sandy Hook tragedy, Shannon started a Facebook group with the message that all Americans can and should do more to reduce gun violence. The online conversation turned into a grassroots movement of Americans fighting for public safety measures that protect people from gun violence. Moms Demand Action has established a chapter in every state of the country and is part of the Every Town for Gun Safety, the largest gun violence prevention organization in the country, with nearly 10 million supporters. In addition to her full-time volunteer work with Moms Demand Action, Shannon is an active board member of Emerge America, one of the nation's leading organizations for recruiting and training women to run for office, and Advance Peace, a prominent community-based organization that works to end gun violence in America's urban neighborhoods by investing in the development, health, and well-being of those at the center of the crisis. Our other guest, Ashley Castillo, is a member of Students Demand Action. Ashley joined every town in Students Demand Action through their Summer Leadership Academy and is now a vocal advocate for better gun laws so her generation doesn't have to fear being shot in school. This will be such a great conversation. Thank you, Shannon, and thank you, Ashley, so much for being with us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. We're very glad you're here, and we want to begin by talking about the recent passage and signing into law of a bipartisan bill, which is so unusual these days, but it's the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. And I want to stress how wonderful it is that it is bipartisan, but I'd like to ask you to tell us what you think are the most important provisions of the new law, and then we can go from there. So, Shannon, why don't we start with you? Yeah. So look, uh, let's just step back for a second and say this is just one step forward on a very long path, um, but it is a really critical step forward and it breaks the logjam in Congress. You know, this is the first bipartisan gun safety legislation that's passed in 26 years. Um, and it will save thousands and thousands of lives. And it's important to also remember where we are right now in America, right? Over 110 people are shot and killed every day. Hundreds more are wounded. Gun violence is now the leading cause among children and teens. And so this legislation isn't just looking at one thing. It really takes a multifaceted approach um, to all types of gun violence, whether it's mass shootings or domestic gun violence, gun suicide, um, city gun violence. It, it really looks at all of those and helps address each one of them. And again, it's not everything we wanted or need, but it is a really important step forward and it, it will change the playing field when it comes to saving lives. I'm so glad you said wanted or needed, because I think that's important. We do need much more. Um, Ashley, was there anything in particular from this bill that you were excited became law? 
Yeah, I think, you know, everything that was built into the bill is great. I think the funding for um, resources, especially mental health resources in schools. I go to a Title I high school, so we are primarily made up of low-income um, students of color. So we necessarily don't really have a lot of funding for mental health services for students who need it. And we have had four different instances of gun violence within only the last school year where, you know, whether it's a student making a threat or um, something similar or a lockdown where students have been seeking these mental health services and they're either not advertised or we don't have enough counselors for that. So I think providing the funding for that is something that I'm really excited about, as well as a lot of students that I've talked to. That's a great point. And the bill does, or the law, now that it's law, creates a three quarters of a billion dollar program to ensure deadly weapons are kept out of the hands of a, a person that a court determines is a significant danger to themselves and others, because as Shannon said, suicide is also one of the dangers of, of guns. Um, and it lets it be used, those, that money, for mental health and drug courts and other risk prevention strategies. So it, is, it, it really is good. Now, I want to ask both of you, do you think that um, the desire for perfection should ever be allowed to stand in the way of progress? And, and I think from what you've said, probably I know your answer, but let's talk about that because so many people say, oh, we shouldn't pass this law because it's not perfect. How did you feel about that? Yeah, you know, look, I started Moms Demand Action in 2012, just the day after the Sandy Hook school shooting. And, you know, I was very naive. Um, I wasn't really politically active. And I thought, oh, surely we will, we will pass federal gun legislation within weeks, right, after 20 children and six educators were slaughtered in the sanctity of an elementary school. And the, the gun lobby we had the day before the shooting was the same. The members of Congress we had the day before the shooting was same. And so nothing was going to change in the immediate aftermath of that tragedy, no matter how much we wanted it to. What we realized was that we were going to have to organize this huge grassroots army of mothers and others, students and survivors, people who could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the gun lobby, just like they had built, really, their own army over years and years. And so that that is incrementalism, right? You have to create this grassroots base. You have to show up at every gun bill hearing. You have to create relationships with your lawmakers. You have to um, work on this really electorally, legislatively, culturally, and eventually build a momentum that would point Congress in the right direction. That you would have to build the momentum that would point Congress in the right direction. And People get so frustrated by incremental change, and I understand that, but that's the way our system is set up. And really, it it's those drips on a rock that leads to revolutions. If we hadn't done all of this work now for a decade, we couldn't have just passed this federal legislation. Um, so I, I get the frustration, and I wish we could have overnight wholesale change, but it's not the way the system is set up. So maybe let me go to the next question for both of you, which is, if you could have perfection, you know, what are the things that you would really have liked to have seen pass and that you will continue to work for? Look, we have been working on several key pieces of legislation in states all across the country. These are things that are the foundation of any gun safety system, right? You have to have a background check on every single gun sale which we've now passed in 21 states. You have to keep guns away from domestic abusers, something we've now passed in 29 states in Washington, D.C. You have to be able to remove guns from someone when they're a danger to themselves or others, a law we've passed now in 19 states in Washington, D.C. And, and there are other important loopholes that we are closing at the state level. But you know, we're all only as safe as the closest state with the weakest gun laws. So that's why we want federal legislation based on data, you know, America's really sort of a petri dish. You can look at red states that have weak gun safety laws and see that they have much more gun death. And then you can look at blue states that have strong gun laws and see they have less gun death. It's sort of intuitive, but it's also data driven. And if only our federal lawmakers would look at that data and then make federal laws that protect all of us 
based on research and not anecdote or emotion or rhetoric from the gun lobby, we would have so much less gun death in this country. And, and that's why we have to keep electing gun sense candidates so that we have a majority in Congress, that we can finally get these, these laws through. That's really important. Ashley, what, did, what would you like to see? Well, for me, especially, you know, I, with this bill, I saw a lot of great progress. I saw a lot of things. This was really a big step forward. This uh, bill included a lot of things that not only myself, but a lot of other students wanted to see. But also just seeing that this kind of legislation is passed in all states. Like Shannon was saying, you know, we are only safe where the strongest gun legislation is, wherever that is in the nearest state. For example, you know, um, the, uh, the bill that Gavin Newsom just recently signed that says now that you can sue, that now you have the power to sue those who own illegal weapons and own illegal arms. Those kinds of bills that are uh, the, um, having these kinds of bills and protections, not only in one state or in a certain state, not having to travel or take different states into consideration for your safety, but having this nationwide. And, and Ashley mentioned before, you know, the, the community violence intervention work too. I mean, we have now unlocked hundreds of millions of dollars for these programs that Ashley was talking about. Mm -hmm. Again, data-driven programs that stop retaliatory gun violence, that help community groups make relationships in their communities so that people aren't thinking about using guns against one another. And that was in this federal legislation too, but we need even more of that funding, particularly after COVID, right? When so many uh, relationships are torn and people's emotions are frayed and we have such easy access to guns because tens of millions of guns have been sold since the beginning of the COVID crisis. Yes. Um, and as someone who lives in Illinois, which is adjacent to states that have much more lenient laws than we do, I really can appreciate your remarks about the need to make this, for, in my perspective, to make it a federal law so that it is every state mm -hmm. and that there is no state that would allow uh, transfer into a state that has strict laws. Um, what about the assault weapon ban? Is that something that you would like to see pass um, or limitations on the uh, number of ammunition, the amount of ammunition that someone could buy? And are either of those possible? I'll start with you on that, Ashley. I say definitely. That is something I would like to see. Um, you know, I recently actually looked into the data for that, and there were a lot less gun deaths during the period of time where that ban was in place. And so having that ban in place, again, I think would very much decrease the amount of gun deaths we have, especially because now there are so many of these weapons in circulation now that people own and that we aren't taking away, that we aren't restricting. Um, and so even though we can prevent the purchase of these weapons, I think it's also important to ban and hopefully eradicate them completely. Is that possible, Shannon? And I would just add to that, well, look, first of all, there's 400 million guns in circulation in this country, but Ashley is exactly right. You know, when we had an assault weapons ban, we had less mass shootings. I mean, assault weapons are why we have such a high body count when there's a mass shooting in this country. Um, you know, it has been interesting to watch and to do this work because so few lawmakers have had an appetite for an assault weapons ban. Even those who supported background checks or supported disarming domestic abusers, et cetera, that was the one thing that made them nervous. But now that we're seeing more and more mass shootings, particularly with AR-15s, which gun manufacturers are actually marketing to troubled young white men, uh, we're seeing more interest by lawmakers on both sides of the aisle for an assault weapons ban. We have passed assault weapons bans mostly at the municipal level in places like Pittsburgh and even Highland Park, Illinois, um, and in um, Boulder, Colorado. This year, for the first time in the decade that I've been doing this work, we helped pass an assault weapons ban in the state of Delaware. No other state has passed one in the last 10 years. So we finally passed one in Delaware. And we're hoping that we could pass one soon in Illinois, um, in part because of the horrific recent mass shooting at a parade uh, in Highland Park. But the, the other thing you mentioned are high-capacity magazines. Um, the sad 
fact of it is these guns often malfunction. And when you reduce the amount of bullets that can be shot at people, people have a chance to escape. And, and there can be, you know, less bullets sprayed at a crowd of people. So data actually shows that reducing the, the magazine size does lead to fewer deaths in a mass shooting situation. And we have been very successful in state houses across the country in reducing magazine sizes. That's excellent to know. I'm very happy to hear that. Um, so what do you think needs to happen to get those kinds of things, the magazine capacity limitation, the assault weapon ban, what, what can people do to make this a reality? Well, look, people need to use their voices and their votes on this issue. I mean, Ashley's an amazing example of someone who is, you know, a, a young person, but is spending so much of her time and her talent trying to address this issue because she knows we don't have to live like this, right? Our, our loved ones shouldn't die like this. We shouldn't be afraid everywhere we go in this country that we could be a victim of gun violence um, and also suicides. I mean, uh, America has such a suicide crisis. Uh, we have the same rates of mental illness as other peer nations, yet suicide is so much more fatal in this country because it's so often completed with a firearm. Um, so I would just ask everyone to find a piece of this work that they're passionate about, whether it's working on legislation, whether it's working on getting out the vote, whether it's educating people about secure storage. There's so many different pieces to this problem that you can help solve. Find a piece of that work and, and get involved. And if you want to join Ashley and I in this work, you can just text the word READY to 64433. And if you're a student or a survivor or a, or a parent, Again, we're mothers and others, and, and you will get a call back pretty instantaneously from a volunteer who will explain to you how you can plug in where you live and help you get started right away. And we're going to talk more about your organization, and we will put into the show notes the link so that people can reach out. So first of all, I just want to thank both of you for the incredible work that you're doing. Um, it's just truly inspiring. We want to get into that work later on in the episode. But, you know, we're at a point in America to me, depressingly, when gun violence has reached such a high level that most Americans probably know someone who's been impacted by gun violence. And Shannon and Ashley, I'm wondering what brought you to get involved uh, in the fight to reform our nation's gun laws? Um, perhaps you can start with Shannon and go to Ashley. Yeah, as you said, about 50% of everyone in America has been impacted by gun violence in some way, which is truly astounding and alarming. Um, I, I want to be clear, when I started Moms Demand Action, I was a white suburban mom who was afraid her kids weren't safe in their schools. And what I quickly learned after getting involved in this issue is that mass shootings and school shootings are about 1% of the gun violence in this country. The gun violence that's truly ripping at the fabric of our communities, it's mostly city gun violence. Uh, it's gun suicides. It's mostly done with handguns, right? So this problem is so much bigger um, and it's not just that, it's unintentional shootings because 4.6 million American kids live in homes with unsecured guns. It's domestic gun violence. Over 70 women are shot and killed by their intimate partners every month. The problem is massive. And, and so no matter why you come into this, it's really important that you educate yourself about what is causing it and how we can stop it. Um, and, and so that's why I came to this work. I am not a gun violence survivor, but I work shoulder to shoulder with survivors every day. And they're just heroic. I mean, people who have been impacted by gun violence and still wake up every day and do this work to save the lives of perfect strangers is so inspiring to me. And certainly if they can do this work, um, then we can too. Ashley, how about you? What brought you into this fight? Well, I'm actually also not a survivor, but I have been surrounded by gun violence throughout my entire life, essentially. Um, growing up, you know, I grew up in South Central. So I grew up in Carson and then I moved to Gardena, which is also in South Central. And there has always been gun violence no matter where I've lived. In my elementary, middle and high school, I've had either lockdowns or shooting threats. Um, my high school actually experienced a bus shooting, um, the magnet bus that I take home every afternoon. Um, that night, I actually wasn't in it, but the, I heard about it afterwards and I it was tragic. Mm -hmm. It was 
it was awful hearing that I could have been in that situation. And not only that, but that people that I know, people that I love, people that I care about, my brother was in that bus and that something could have happened. Nobody was injured, but someone could have been injured. Something could have happened. And so, you know, it's just I had joined Students in Man Action before that. I had joined my freshman year of high school. And I joined mainly because this is something that I'm passionate about. We shouldn't have to be worried going to going out on a walk where I live down the street, knowing that someone had just gotten shot down the street, having witnessed shootings, having my parents almost caught in a mall shooting, um, having experienced seeing someone get shot at Santee Alley buying my culmination dress for my eighth grade culmination. It's not something that I should have had to go through. It's not something that any kid should have to go through. And if that and if I can do something to prevent that for the next generations coming forward, that I'm willing to take that step and go the extra mile to prevent this from happening to anybody else. It's so inspiring. And, you know, Ashley, just young people, um, you know, we've experienced gun shooter drills and gun violence our entire lives. And it's part of the reason why I think your story and also Shannon's story is also um, so inspiring for everyone else, because it shows us that there's a problem in our community. We can do something about it as long as we find that purpose and meaning and take action. And Ashley, just as a follow-up, because you're a part of Students Demand Action, tell us more about your organizing efforts among young people and um, how some of your peers in high school feel and how other students can get involved in um, Students Demand action? Well, actually, I mainly got involved in Students Demand Action when I joined their summer leadership academy over the summer. Um, I had joined and we learned a lot because stepping into this, I actually did not have much knowledge. I didn't have much knowledge at all about um, laws or legislation or anything. I just knew that there was an issue that needed to be solved and that I could take part in solving that issue. And so I joined in the summer. So joining the Students um, Demand Action Summer Leadership Academy, I think, is a great step forward. It's something that I've recommended to a lot of my peers, and a lot of them have actually taken that opportunity, which makes me really happy to hear. Um, starting a chapter, starting a chapter in your local area, in your school, getting other people who are also passionate about this issue who, or who just want to learn to join you, creating um, a group, creating a community um, and bringing these people together in order to fight for the same issue. Um, I started the chapter because I knew that a lot of my peers were also like me. We lived, we lived in South Central, we lived in different areas, but we go to Hollywood High School where a lot of gun violence happens. And so we didn't know what we could do. We didn't know that we were able to call our senators. We didn't know that we were able to email them and contact them. We didn't know about organizations like Students in Action. We didn't know that there were programs. We didn't have any of this information. And so I thought that this was so important to shed light on and bring to my peers, especially um, during the walkouts that happened after the Uvalde shooting. Everyone wanted to do something. Everyone had been so brought together because actually during that week, the week before, there had been a week full of fighting and threats that students were going to bring guns. And our campus was full of LAPD. We didn't know what was going to happen every single day. Everyone was stepping on eggshells. We didn't know what was going to happen. And so we all wanted to come together as a community and all the students, all the staff, all the teachers got together and they came out during that rally. I made flyers with resources and information for students to have because I think education, really educating students on what they can do and how they can do it is essential to the movement. Can you talk about what the leadership program is that you were part of? Yes, the um, Students Demand Summer, um, the Students Demand Summer Leadership Academy. So the Students Demand Summer Leadership Academy is, I believe, in, um, I can't remember how many cities I'll bet it's on your website, right? We can get that information. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. We'll put that on our, our show notes and it'll tell a little bit more about it. And, and it's affiliated with the Moms Demand Action. Is that right, Shannon? Well, so Moms Demand Action and Students Demand Action are both grassroots arms of Every Town for Gun Safety. Excellent. Okay. Got it. And just as a follow-up to Moms Demand Action, Shannon, that's your organization. Tell us more about Moms Demand Action and the power of moms in particular in this movement. Yeah, you know, it, it isn't just women. Or, or, it isn't just moms, 
right? It's also women. Women hold only about 10% of the 500,000 elected positions in this country. So we aren't actually sitting at the table making the policies and the laws that protect our families and our communities. And as the saying goes, if you don't have a seat at the table, you are probably on the menu. And so many times in this country, women are. Um, So I really do think that our organization has helped empower women and moms to feel like badasses, to feel like they can take on one of the most powerful, wealthy, special interests that's ever existed. Um, And when we ask our volunteers, you know, why do you give your time and your talent to us every single day, uh, free of charge as, as these amazing driven volunteers, the answer it's really two things. The first is that they feel like we're winning. The fact that we are changing policies in city councils and state houses and now even in Congress, that that really makes them feel like they're doing important work and they know that they will see this change in their lifetime. And the second thing is that they meet their people, that they create communities. They are connected to best friends and people who will be in their lives forever. And, and you know, that's really what activism is about at the at the end of the day. It's about joy and community and connection and all working toward a greater good. And, and that's really what Moms Demand Action offers. Thank you. And let's look at some of the statistics. There's a very disturbing graphic that shows how America has more gun violence. And I don't mean by a little bit. I mean by a huge amount than any other developed nation. And what is it that distinguishes us? What makes us the country with the most gun violence? Is there something that you can point to that we might be able to look at changing? Uh, I would point to the fact that we have 400 million guns in circulation and very few gun laws. Um, You know, we have a 26 times higher gun homicide rate than any peer nation. And it's very clearly easy access to guns. There are other nations that have high rates of gun ownership per capita, but they would never allow the type of gun violence that that is spiraling out of control in America. Why do we allow it? We also have something else no other pure nation has. We have a gun lobby. We have a gun lobby that perverts the Second Amendment and uses it to line the pockets of gun manufacturers um, and, and to make people rich. And as a result, um, we essentially have gun lobbyists writing our nation's gun laws. And of course, they're going to write them so that they benefit and profit gun manufacturers. And, and this has gotten so out of control that we're even seeing 21 states so far have passed something called permitless carry. This is the, the gun lobby's uh, dream. It is a public safety nightmare. It basically means that average everyday civilians can carry hidden loaded handguns in public without a background check, without a permit, without any training. And we know that these laws result in higher rates of gun crime and gun violence. And yet lawmakers are passing them because they know that that in order to not get primaried and, and to have the support of the gun lobby, they have to do their bidding. And so that's why it's so important that we get every American and 90% of Americans support stronger gun laws, right? It's just this very vocal minority that's been allowed to uh, run roughshod over our lawmakers. We have to get everybody using their voices and their votes on this issue so that we are the ones who are telling our lawmakers what they should and shouldn't do. If I can add just one thing to the reference that Jill was mentioning, I pulled up the graphic on my phone because it, it truly, when I saw it, I um, just got sick. So um, on the x-axis, so on the bottom axis, on kind of one part of the graph, it shows guns per 100. And for the U.S., it's not just one person has a gun, 120 guns per 100 people. Um, that's horrifying. And then on the y-axis, it shows uh, the gun-related deaths per 100,000. In the U.S., it's uh, 120 deaths per 100,000 people. And it's um, just mind-boggling. The next country is like way down on the graph, and it's Switzerland. And so um, it's just really, really horrifying. Thanks, Victor. Uh, yeah, yeah Jill, sure. With your next no, that was uh, good to point out. And I think Shannon... Let's talk a little bit about the NRA because that was just referenced in terms of how influential they are in preventing gun laws from happening. And they're making reform harder. What's the way to deal with that? 
You know, our theory of change 10 years ago was really, you know, shine a light on the gun lobby's corruption, show people that they aren't acting like a nonprofit, that they're acting like a, a corrupt organization that is, you know, buying Italian wardrobes for its CEO and allowing uh, vacation travel on the dimes of, of donors um, and, and generally behaving like a corrupt um, special interest. And we have done that, right? The, the NRA tried and failed to declare bankruptcy last year. Uh, we have outspent them in election cycles. Their return on investment has dwindled in election cycles over the last 10 years. They're hemorrhaging political power and money, and yet their agenda lives on. And I think what we did not predict, and I, I don't know that we could have, was that they would be pulled so far to the right by not only sort of the Tea Party, but every state has its own version of the NRA, but it's always to the right of the NRA. Mm. So for example, when I lived in Colorado, they're called the Rocky Mountain Gun Owners. And they believe that any law whatsoever is an infringement on the Second Amendment. And, and the NRA has had choices all along the way. Would they back down and come into the mainstream and and support things like a background check, which they used to do, um, and, and support keeping guns out of schools. These are all things that the NRA supported in 1999. And instead of backing down, they've doubled down. And that's because they know who buys guns and they know who their base is. About 3% uh, of Americans who, who own guns own half of the guns in this country, right? They've been convinced that they need an arsenal. So they have dozens of handguns and AR-15s and on and on. Um, and so this this agenda of the gun lobby isn't really the NRA anymore. Now it has become an organizing principle of the extremist right wing in this country. And what's interesting is that, that guns have become a way to get new recruits in the door. It's become a way to raise millions and millions of dollars. And it's also become a way to excite the base of the right wing, not just around guns, but around a whole host of truly terrifying and dangerous issues, whether it's anti-abortion, anti-CRT, anti-trans. Um, it, all of these are interconnected, but the organizing principle is guns. So you're asking me what we can do, and we have to elect gun sense candidates. And that's a big part. Besides organizing, besides getting in, involved um, in this issue in so many different ways, including legislatively and culturally, we really have to make sure that we are only electing people who oppose the gun lobby's agenda and who support the safety of our families. Well, one of the things that's being done that is certainly different than when I was in school, but that Victor has lived through and you, Ashley, is the fact that you've had mass shootings and that you've had mass shooter drills. And I'm, I was really struck in Highland Park, which is just a few miles from where I'm sitting right now, uh, that it was the children who knew what to do and instructed their parents on, you know, close the shades and, you know, get inside. And they, they knew what to do. So, Ashley, maybe you can tell us what you've lived through in terms of the training you got and what it feels like. I had air raid drills and it used to terrify me thinking that someone was going to bomb my school. But um, it that wasn't so realistic. I mean, it wasn't really something I believed would happen. Nowadays, you have to believe that you could be shot in school. And so what does that feel like to you? And do you want your teachers to be armed as a protection in addition? But talk about that. Well, definitely not arming teachers. Having guns doesn't make us safer. Having guns doesn't make us safer at all, period. Whether my teacher had a gun or not would not make me feel safe in the classroom. That shouldn't be something that I should have to depend on for my safety in the first place. So no to arming teachers, period. Um, throughout LAUSD and throughout um, the times that I have been at school, we have not necessarily had realistic shooter drills, which I am very grateful for because I have heard many stories where in um, other states they do hold these realistic shooter drills with um, the airsoft pistols, the airsoft guns that make the popping sounds, that make the noises, the, that, that ultimately um, 
that ultimately replicate the experience of being in a lockdown drill and fearing for your life. I have been in actual lockdown drills. And I can say from that, that the fear is it's something that it's something that can be replicated. And it's something that we shouldn't be replicating. It's not something that should be distributed. And it's not something that a child should ever have to face in order to prepare to be safe. Um, so I have not experienced a shooter drill. Um, but based on my experiences in actual drills, we shouldn't have them at all. It's so interesting. And of course, we know that the common phrase of a good guy with a gun is the only thing that'll stop a bad guy with a gun. And then you look at Uvalde and you had 70 trained officers and it didn't do a thing. So Shannon, as a mom, how do you feel about the mass shooter drills? Do you think it's too scary for the children or is it good training? <laughs> There's absolutely no data that shows that lockdown drills are effective, but there is a lot of data that shows that they cause depression, anxiety, sleeplessness, worsening school performance. Uh, I'm a mom of five. My kids are grown now, but if I had to do it all over again, I would not let my kids participate in lockdown drills. But wow. it's important to know that about 95% of all schools do them in this country. It's also a school safety is about a billion dollar business, right? So people are doing drills to make money and they're making them, um, as Ashley was talking about, too many of them simulate actual gun violence. They're not trauma-informed. So a few things. We would recommend that schools always give families a heads up before these drills so no one is caught off guard and also so people can opt out if they want to. Um, they should be trauma-informed. They should not simulate actual gun violence. Um, and schools should collect data to see what is effective and what isn't. Um, but, but, you know, we know that, that it's not drills that are going to prevent mass shootings. It's actually keeping guns out of schools in the first place. Most school shooters are students with easy access to guns in their home. As I said, 4.6 million kids live in homes with unsecured guns. So we need more responsibility that goes along with gun rights, and that includes requiring gun owners to keep their guns locked, unloaded, and separate from ammunition. Would you support more of the laws like Michigan has where the parents are now being held responsible for a shooting in Michigan? Uh, they actually gave the gun to their son who committed the crime. Would that help? Yes, we we support secure storage laws, which we've passed in many states, but also child access prevention laws. So one requires you to securely store your firearms. The other one makes you culpable if you don't. Um, we know that states that have these laws uh, which are typically only misdemeanors and result in you know $400 fine, even that in itself is a, a good way to keep people to act responsibly. So yes, we support these laws. We think they're important. Um, if you go back to drunk driving in the 1980s, and you, know, you can remember that people would drink and drive and everyone would say, oh, what a horrible tragedy. We can't punish that driver. They've suffered enough. And a group of moms came along and said, wait a minute, if we don't have laws that hold people responsible for making the decision of driving while drunk, this is just going to keep happening to our family members. They're going to get killed by these irresponsible people. It's no different in 2022 in so many states with guns. You leave a loaded gun on your kitchen counter and a kid or someone else gets it and injures themselves or someone else. And people say, oh, what a tragic accident. We can't hold that person, that gun owner accountable. They, they've suffered enough. And that's just not how laws work, right? You have to hold people accountable for being responsible. Definitely. And, you know, it's not just Republicans in Congress who resist gun reform and endanger our lives. It's now also the Supreme Court and particular state legislatures. But I don't want to focus so much on the bad news and, and, and what's happening on that front. But I'm wondering, you know, we talked a little about Delaware and some of the good laws that are passed out of California and Michigan. Can you talk a little bit more about the good laws that are being passed in states and um, uh, kind of local municipalities? Yeah, you, you mentioned the Supreme Court. I, there is good news coming out of that ruling. So I, I kind of look at it as two steps forward, one step back. What the Supreme Court did was essentially say New York's permitting standards were too high. They were too strong, which is ridiculous. It's why New York has one of the lowest rates of, of gun violence and gun death. But immediately, the governor, who ha is a gun sense champion, 
passed incredibly strong laws through the legislature to say, okay, Supreme Court, you want to weaken our gun laws? We're going to go in and tighten everything that we can across the board, including things like safety training, so that people who are carrying guns in New York are trained, they have background checks, they're permitted, um, and it's a very strict system. And, and they've done that. And, and actually, similar legislation is moving through Massachusetts and California. Um, and so there's only six states that really are impacted, impacted in total by the Supreme Court ruling. Um, and we're very confident that all of them will follow suit. But, you know, we have been able to innovate um, in city councils, for example, in San Jose, where we passed policies that require gun owners to have insurance. Uh, we've passed assault weapons bans through city councils. We've um, regulated ghost guns. Uh, we've prohibited guns in sensitive places like voting booths. Um, and then in state houses, as I said, not only have we passed an assault weapons ban, and we've now um, outlawed recreational open carry in Rhode Island, which is one of the first states to do that. Open carry is legal in 45 states in this country. Um, in Colorado, we reversed a preemption law, which means that essentially cities couldn't have policies different than state law. So you could walk up and down the street in Boulder with uh, an AR-15, but not a dog. And now that we've overruled the preemption law, Boulder's free to pass whatever policies it wants. Mm -hmm. So there are all kinds of innovative things that we're doing in the state houses and city councils and school boards and even corporate boardrooms, right? We're not just waiting for Congress to do the right thing. And, and this is how any social movement works, right? I mean, if you look at marriage equality, um, when, when they demanded the, the right to marry, Congress at the time said, no, we're going to actually do the Defense of Marriage Act. And so they pivoted and started doing this work just like we are at a local level to build the momentum to eventually um, take their rights back. And so this is very similar. Uh, all social movements often start uh, in the states and they, they end in Congress. I mean, if that's not all the reason why people should vote for not just federal level uh, elected officials, but also state and local elected officials who believe in common sense gun laws, um, I don't know what is. But thankfully, um, I guess in uh, a couple of months, we have a midterm election coming up. And I I'm wondering for both you, um, Shannon, as well as Ashley, do you believe gun violence will be a motivating issue, not just for Democrats, but also for perhaps moderate Republicans, other Republicans, um, how big of a factor do you think that gun violence will be in turning out the vote? Um, maybe we can start with you, Shannon, and go to Ashley uh, from your perspective as a young person. There's a reason that Mitch McConnell allowed his party, but also he himself voted for the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. And that is because they saw polling and that polling showed that there was going to be serious consequences, particularly among suburban women, and the suburbs are now very diverse, that they were going to be held accountable for any inaction on this issue after the mass shootings in Buffalo and Uvalde and Highland Park. They saw the writing on the wall. They knew that the swing voters were also gun safety voters. And so I do think that there are issues right now motivating women of all ages um, to vote up and down the ballot in, uh, you know, just not that long in no on November 8th, right? We're just months away. And, and that's abortion and gun safety. And polling bears that out. Um, and, you know, I think Ashley also will have really unique perspective. I mean, Students Demand Action registered over 100,000 voters in the last election cycle. And so I'm really mm -hmm. excited to, to see what young people do. So Ashley, talk to us a little bit more about how you think gun violence will play out among um, young voters. I don't even know. Ashley, are you eligible to vote in November or are you still? Um, no, actually, I'm not. Ineligible. I'm not. Wow. I am pre-registered. So I, I guess, okay, okay. So so I guess Shannon mentioned the registration part. Are, so are you, talk to us about some of the organizing efforts that you're um, engaged in and how big of an issue you think uh, gun violence plays out when you talk to your... Uh, uh, well, when I talk to my peers and those at school, gun violence is a very big factor and it is something that they take very much into consideration when it comes to voting. Um, I've had a lot of friends who are eligible to vote who have talked to me about what candidates they want to vote for and they want to vote for gun safety candidates. They want to prevent the experiences that we have been experiencing for other people. We know that we don't have to continue living like this and that we can create a change by voting, that we have these gun safety candidates 
advocates who are going to advocate for us and amplify our voices and the things that we want to see change um, within legislation. So I I really think that there are a lot of issues that are going to play a very big factor when it comes to voting. Um, my chapter has held two voter registration drives at my school. We got over 300 people to register to vote um, that were eligible to vote or that had to check if they were still eligible to check um, to make sure that they had already registered. And so we have been seeing that more and more young people want to vote. There is a high demand for people who want to vote. There is a high demand, especially at my school, for people who are pre-registered. And we very much encourage um, people to pre-register so that as soon as they turn 18, they can run to the polls and they can vote for the things that they believe are important, the things that they want to see changed. And so um, I do believe that these issues are going to play a very big role when it comes to voting because um, a lot of the time, many people were not voting. Many young people were not voting and many people, many young people were not able to vote. Um, actually, something very interesting that my middle school did was we actually had a simulated voting when it came to the um, presidential election. And actually, from what we found and from what a lot of research found, actually, is that if young people were able to vote at the time, Bernie Sanders would have won the election is what we found. And that's what data found at the time. And that's something that I found very interesting. So. I know for sure that these issues are going to play a very big role when it comes time for me to vote, when it comes time for my peers to vote and those around me. I think one thing you can do, even though you're too young to register yet or to vote, um, is to lobby your parents and your cousins and your aunts and your uncles and uh, your neighbors to stress the importance of this issue and of voting in general so that even though you yourself may not be able to cast a ballot, you can influence the casting of many ballots and should all be into that. Exactly. Those conversations really matter. Just on a messaging standpoint, as we head into the midterms, I'm wondering, uh, what do both of you think um, of the messaging coming out of particularly the Democratic Party about um, Republican inaction? And what do you think is the right messaging to moms and students as we head into the midterms? Look, I, I think that this is about safety. And, and too often, the right wing gets to talk about crime without any pushback. And yet, it truly is um, laws created by the right wing that have resulted in this horrific gun violence crisis we have. There is a reason that gun violence is worse in states with weaker gun laws, laws that are preferred by the NRA, like permitless carry, stand your ground. Um, these laws are dangerous and deadly. The data shows it, and yet they've still been passed. You don't get to pass those laws and then claim the high ground on crime, or at least you shouldn't be allowed to. You know, if we're really talking about freedom, if we're really talking about safety, then we're talking about gun sense champions. Right now, that's mostly Democrats, but, you know, I was really heartened to see 15 Republicans vote for the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. So, if you, if you go back to when I started doing this work a decade ago, about a quarter of all Democrats had an A rating from the NRA. Today, none do. And that took a decade's worth of work to show lawmakers, look, if you do the right thing, we'll have your back. If you do the wrong thing, we'll have your job. And, and we have to be doing the same thing with Republicans so that eventually all members of all parties are on the right side of this issue. Um, and, and that work, as I, we talked about before, is sort of incremental. But I think that the messaging is about keeping your family safe, keeping your community safe, and really looking at the data of what will make us safer, what will make us freer. This is not freedom. <laughs> this, if, if this is, you know, the, the gun lobby's idea of freedom, where people are going to have shootouts at the mall, and, and even after three people are murdered, that's somehow considered a victory uh, for the gun lobby. I mean, I think we're in, we're in real trouble. I don't think the average American agrees with that. Thank you both. Um... I've learned a lot, and I am very impressed with how you've been able to make the changes happen that have already happened. And I just want to ask one last question, which is, what is the message that you want people running for office to know and voters to know so that they can uh, strategize in terms of how they vote? Um, 
what's, what is it that you think is the best message to voters and elected officials? And let me start with you, Shannon, and then go to you, Ashley. I think it's what I just said. You know, I think I think it's all of the, the things we just talked about. I would just say if you want to know where your lawmakers stand on this issue, you can go to gunsensevoter.org. And it's really important to look at, you know, all of the people who are running for office at all levels and, and make a decision based on where they stand on this issue. Ashley? Um, I agree very much with what Shannon said. Um, for voting for those who are going to represent what you want and what all we all that we want when it comes to this issue is safety. All that we want is not having to fear going out, having to barricade ourselves in our homes where even then we can still be affected by gun violence, where even then we can still be shot. There, It is not dependent on whether you are affected by gun violence or not is not dependent on your party. They do not ask you what party you are in before they shoot. They will not ask you that. All we want is a safer community. We want this country, this nation to be a safer place. At the end of the day, that is our goal for our family members, for ourselves, for our kids, for the future generations. And so I think that is the most important thing to take into account, voting for those people who are going to keep us safe, who keep, the, who keep that value important. I hope all voters and all members of Congress and all members of every state legislature hear this interview and think about what you're saying, because it's really very impressive and very um, impactful to me. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of iGen Politics with Shannon Watts and Ashley Castillo. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did and that you'll take action by checking out our show notes and some of the resources that we've included. We'll be back next week with another great episode of iGen Politics. But in the meantime, you can follow us wherever you follow your podcast and also find us on YouTube at Politicon. Uh, please also leave us a five-star review and rating at the end on Apple Podcasts because it helps us tremendously. Thank you so much for watching or listening to this episode of iGen Politics. We'll see you next week with another great episode. 